Hey, you're listening to Yo, This Can't Be Life, the podcast that aims to educate and inform Black women on how to take better care of their physical, mental, and financial health. I'm your host, Bree Montgomery, and I'm inviting you to join me as I interview resident experts to find out the cheat codes to living your best life. The information provided is intended to be general advice and should not be considered medical advice. For that, please consult your medical professional. So now we're welcoming Dr. Alicia Leggett to the show. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Thank you. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself. So I am a family medicine physician, so general practitioner. I currently have practice in the Bronx in New York City, which I you know, absolutely love, mostly serving patients of color and also mostly serving patients who are like Medicaid, Medicare. I also created an online course for women who are looking to prepare for pregnancy, mostly just because I you know, realized that there was a real uh, information gap in terms of what women should know prior to their pregnancy journey. Because really, you know, when you are pregnant, it really should be a time in your life where you're really at the most healthy, at your most healthy. But, you know, sometimes it takes, you know, some time to prepare. And yeah, and so I really kind of focus on providing that information to all women. But there are, you know, specific information that I provide specifically to women of color as it pertains to how they can best interact with the healthcare system. Oh, that uh, is great. Yes. So, okay, since we're talking about people who are trying to get pregnant, what types of things should they be doing and how far in advance would you want to start if, if possible? Well, you know, I think, you know, getting healthy for, for pregnancy is something that, you know, people can start as early as they really can, right? Because I feel like there's always, people are always striving to reach, you know, specific health goals, whether it be to, you know, change their diet, to, um, you know, become a vegetarian, like they always said they wanted to, or to lose those last like 10 pounds that they want to lose, or even just to drink more water. It can be, you know, small things like that. And it's really never too early to start doing those things. So, you know, getting prepared, preparing your body for pregnancy is really an opportunity to get healthy in general. I would say you need at least three months at the minimum to really kind of allow your body to kind of um, make some, really adjust to some of the changes that you might make, especially if they're major changes to your diet or to your lifestyle so that you can, you know, reach your goals. Okay. So are there any special considerations? Would you do more or less if say you're like the 35 and up group? So, yeah, I mean, I would say there's really no special considerations for women over 35 in terms of what they should do to prepare. They should really do, you know, similar things that women under 35 would do, which is, you know, really getting your nutrition in line, um, you know, exercising, I think really focusing on mindset, learning what it is to, you know, go inward, kind of mother yourself and also develop routines around wellness and self-care that really, you know, fuel your, your mind and spirit so that you are ready to give uh, give to a new life and nurture a new life. And of course, just making sure that you're, you know, avoiding any toxic substances that could potentially, you know, cause harm to your developing baby. Um, just because, you know, many women in the first trimester don't know they're pregnant and, you know, can continue these habits uh, through the first trimester, which is the most critical. 
So, but I would say for women over 35, their journey may be very, very different than women under 35. And really, I would say all women have a very unique journey, right? So there's no one way to have a pregnancy journey. Um, Some women, you know, are able to get pregnant very quickly by not doing any planning at all. Um, Generally more younger women who are more fertile, but um, women who are older may expect that it may take longer, that they also may experience miscarriage, which, you know, the rates of miscarriage do go up as as you age. But to really kind of, you know, manage those, manage their their expectations as well. And just to really kind of stay in a positive frame of mind where they keep trying. But apart from that, I would say the journey is pretty similar. Okay. So I have read something about like quality of eggs. Like you can't do anything about the the amount you have, Mm -hmm. but are there special considerations or things that people can do to increase the quality of their eggs? Yes, so you're absolutely right. Uh, Women are generally born with a finite amount of eggs. So your eggs are as old as you are, (laughs) which is good and just as wise. (laughs) But as you get older, definitely the quality of the eggs definitely does start to go down, particularly at, you know, starting at age 30, 32. So a lot of times the quality of the eggs is, you know, controlled by many, 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 many factors, right? Mm-hmm. Which includes, you know, what we're eating, you know, our exposures, our toxic exposures, and also our, our exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, generally, lifestyle, diet, exercise, and also, you know, as you age, unfortunately, that there's you know, I think that's really the strongest correlate to the quality of the eggs. So, you know, there are things, some things that we can do, which is, you know, definitely making sure that in terms of specific nutritional things that, you know, we really, really ensure that we're getting, you know, a lot of fiber in our diet, fresh fruits and vegetables, and that we're really avoiding those foods that are really spiking up our blood sugar. Sugar is a very tricky thing because, Uh, Blood sugar, you know, really has effects on um, all of the hormonal pathways in the body, including the menstrual cycle. You know, our hormones, sugar can raise levels of insulin, which can make it more difficult for us to get pregnant and for us to actually release an egg for ovulation. Also, when our bodies are chronically inflamed, when there's like underlying inflammation in our body also mm-hmm. due to our exposures and due to our nutrition and also our lifestyle. These are also the things that could potentially contribute to infertility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's super important that women kind of pay, pay very close attention to that. Okay. I've heard you say like toxic substances a lot. Are we talking alcohol or things around the house? Can you give us a couple of few toxic things that we definitely would want to take out of our lives if we're trying to get pregnant or we're already pregnant? Definitely. So, you know, I think there's more obvious things like, you know, people who smoke cigarettes or smoke marijuana or any drugs, crack, you know, all that stuff. (laughs) Yes. To to be perfect, 100% clear. (laughs) Yes. Not to just shout out crack, but you know, (laughs) Um, you want to avoid any drugs. Okay. Okay. I got that down. Also, any alcohol as well, which, you know, is has, is very strongly correlated to miscarriage and also adverse outcomes in the babies. Also, you want to avoid 
There's particular types of substances we call endocrine disruptors, which, you know, are chemicals that can really mimic hormones in our body, the actions of hormones, particularly estrogens in our body. Fortunately, because of the society that we live in, you, you know, we're going to have be exposed to some of these chemicals just because a lot of it, you know, comes from industrial waste runoff and um, that contaminates the water or even the pots and pans that we're using in our homes to cook or or even, you know, the plastics that we use to put our, our food in. Um, these kinds of things can leach chemicals and that are then ingested by you. And they have effects on the body that can really throw off your cycle. But for the most part, I would say, you know, if, if there's like three things that women could abs- should absolutely do, I would say definitely avoid any like drugs, tobacco, alcohol or drugs. If you can, if you absolutely can try to eat organic uh, for the same reason that I just mentioned, because, you know, a lot of these pesticides, you know, are directly linked to adverse outcomes in children and also issues with fertility. And, you know, we're living in an age now where our governments are really supposed to protect us, protect consumers from toxic substances that may cause problems, health, cause health issues. But unfortunately, you know, with the current administration, that's just not their priority. We're living in an area of deregulation where, you know, our EPA is being defunded and, you know, all of these scientific organizations that are funded by the government that provide this free information to the public are basically being dramatically cut. So it's making it more difficult for consumers to really access information about, you know, if their water is safe or if the pots and pans they bought are safe. So super important to try to buy organic if you can, just to reduce your pesticide exposure. And also to, you know, when you buy organic, you also make a choice to also protect the agricultural workers that work to harvest those those foods. Because yeah. it's often not something we think about, but literally every choice that we make, everything we buy is also not only an economic choice, it's a political choice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I feel like buying organic is very much a political choice to protect those people also from repeated exposure to harmful chemicals. So yeah, and also it, you know, everything in this country, of course, we live in a capitalist society is driven by money. So when people make a choice to buy organic, they're, you know, you're you're basically telling these companies that, yes, we want this. Like the public is demanding that you produce more of this product um, and less of the harmful stuff. So I would say that's absolutely critical. A lot of people say it's expensive, but, you know, I think that you know, because the demand for organic is going up so much that the prices are actually starting to fall. And I think if people, yeah, if people are also more mindful about their consumption and their waste, they'll notice that, you know, it's actually just as, you know, costly to buy organic as it is conventional. Yeah, I've been seeing a trend. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just saying I agree. I've been seeing a trend. Mm Mm-hmm, absolutely. sales when they used to didn't have sales. Right, exactly. And then I would say the last thing is to take a prenatal vitamin, uh, mostly for the reason that I mentioned before, which is that, you know, most women don't know they're pregnant up until about eight, you know, seven, eight weeks when they kind of, they may experience symptoms of pregnancy, like feeling nauseous or, you know, feeling like their, you know, abdomen is a little bloated. Mm -hmm. But, you know, up until that point, you may not experience anything. So you may not know until after you've missed your period. But the reason why that period that the first two months is so critical is because that's really where when all of the major organs are being formed and if you're still consuming you know 
substances that like alcohol, if you're still drinking or if you're still, you know, eating bad, those are all things that are directly affecting the development of your baby until you find out. So those two months are super critical and prenatal vitamins are really good. So just ensuring that you have, you know, adequate stores of essential vitamins and nutrients that are necessary for normal brain, you know, development, spinal cord development and, you know, major organ development as well. I would say those are like the three things. I mean, there's tons of other things that you can yeah, do, but I yeah. would say if people want to start somewhere, you could definitely start there. Right. Okay. That, <laughs> that was definitely a good start. So like for prenatals, is there like certain things you want to look for or is the average prenatal vitamin going to give you basically what you need? So the average prenatal vitamin is most often going to give you what you need. I would say there's really just two major considerations for prenatals. One is the formulation. You can get, you know, pills that are like capsules, which are like, you know, the it has the, the nutrients inside of it and you can't really taste anything. Get the tablets, which can kind of leave a, leave a chalky taste or like can dissolve in the mouth if you leave it there too long. And then there's the gummies, which you, you know, taste like candy and you can chew. And each formulation has pros and cons, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so you, if for the tablets, they often are, you know, contain, contain complete nutrients. However, sometimes they're not very well tolerated. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it can cause a lot of, you know, nausea in women or people feel like they're constipated because of the iron inside the vitamin. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times people just stop taking it or they say they can't take it every day because it's just too much for them. So, you know, I think the most popular one is the gummies just because they taste good and are easily (laughs) digestible. (laughs) However, they may not contain all the nutrients that you really need. Mm. So it's really important to kind of think about that. Like, well, what is it that my body can tolerate? Um, And then the second thing is really what are the specific micronutrients that are like absolutely critical that the the vitamin should contain. And most do contain these things. Like most will have iron, uh, most will have, um, you know, B vitamins, the most will have folate and all of that. However, there's some, you know, specific nutrients that you just want to make sure. So, you know, definitely iron is a big one because many of the gummies do do not contain iron. So you just want to ensure that they definitely contain iron. Vitamin D is another one. So vitamin D obviously is super important for bone health, uh, not only in the mom, but in the baby. So, you know, the recommended daily, it's recommended that pregnant women get 400 to 600 units, but I would actually recommend one to two thousand because there's a Mm. lot of really great research coming out about how it really helps with uh, improved mineralization and skeletal development in babies when the mom supplements with high doses of vitamin D. So that's also very important. There's some other nutrients that women should kind of keep in mind that may not be in their vitamin, but they just want to be mindful of to ensure they're either getting in their diet or that they're getting through supplementation and that includes a folate so most prenatal vitamins contain folate but the recommended amount is about one milligram but there are lots of foods that contain folate as well Um, so broccoli papaya asparagus really really high in folate so if people are looking to supplement with more you can always choose those foods and and folate super super important for brain development for spinal cord and spine development super important for um for blood development as well, having healthy blood cells. So that's a pretty critical nutrient. And then I would say the other thing would be like DHA, which is a type of omega-3 fatty acid. 
um, omega threes have been getting so much attention these days because <laughs> of you know their links to um, improved cardiovascular health, improved cholesterol, which is awesome. But a lot of prenatal vitamins do not contain omega three, so you know it's something that women just want to make sure that they're getting sufficient amounts in their diet, either with fatty fish like salmon or mackerel. Also, they can eat um, tree nuts like walnuts contain a lot of omega omega three and flaxseed, or they can just take a supplement with like fish oil tablets, which are kind of controversial, but you just want to make sure you choose uh, a brand, uh, a supplement uh, that is reputable. So you know that you're getting a good quality product. Right. And then the... And then the last micronutrient would be choline, which you know most people haven't heard of, but choline is also super important for brain and eye development. Most prenatals don't contain it. However, you know, it's found in most animal products, meats, things like that. But for vegetarians and vegans, there's also plant-based sources of, of choline too, which include like chickpeas, also broccoli, you know, and eggs also. So I think those are the most important things considerations. But apart from that, most vitamins will contain all of the other essential nutrients that are needed. Okay. Sounds really good. For those now who are already pregnant, mm-hmm. when choosing a doctor, well, I'll say those who are trying to choose a hospital too, when you're thinking about choosing a doctor, do you look more at like the hospitals that they're associated with? Or do you choose a doctor first? What would you say the priority should be? I would say it's really best to kind of choose a doctor because there's a lot of great doctors that may work in hospital systems that maybe don't have the best reputation. I would say, you know, it's really good to just start with asking friends who are pregnant or who had babies or who, I mean, most women have a GYN and there are some GYNs that also do OB. So you can just kind of start by asking friends in your network, like if they have a great doctor, they could recommend. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. One of my favorite obstetricians who actually I trained with, she was actually one of my senior residents when I was just a a lowly intern. She's amazing, (laughs) right? She's amazing. But she also works in a hospital system that, you know, is a bit underfunded and that, you know, maybe doesn't have as, as much resources as like richer hospitals. And so for that reason, people may choose not to go to her for that reason. But she's absolutely a doll. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, it, I think it really varies. I think if people are very focused on having a good experience, then they may want to do their due diligence and just ask around and see who's recommended. If people are more concerned about, you know, the look, the look and feel of an office, because that's also important for pe- some people, right? Mm-hmm. Like they want to feel like they're in a place where... You know, you know, some people can be a little, you know, bougie yeah. and they're like, yeah. oh, I don't want to go that I mean, place. Hey, <laughs> comfort is key, especially when you are already in a hormonal state. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, if that's something that's more important to you, then, you know, maybe you might want to choose a place that maybe has an aesthetic that you uh, are more comfortable with. However, that doesn't necessarily dictate what kind of care you're going to get, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. it it really depends on what a person's priorities are in terms of, you know, what it is that they want out of their experience. For me, I mean, I'm a physician, so I feel like when I had my son, I was just like, it doesn't matter who I see. I just want to, I, I just need to see somebody that 
is gonna I'm gonna see eye to eye with. So that was okay. my priority. Like I just want somebody who I can see eye to eye with, who I can communicate with, you know, who's gonna communicate effectively with me. You know, some people are very focused on, oh, I want her to be caring. You know, some women feel like they have to have that like nurturing connection with their yeah. doctor. Yeah. yeah. And they feel like they need to like be very like, oh, everything's gonna be fine and very like, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Some people are really into that. I'm not one of those people, but you know, that for a lot of women is super important. So, you know, you definitely want to ask if when you're asking for recommendations, ask about that too. Is this person like nurturing? Are they a good communicator? You know, I think unfortunately the time with the patients is not really something that doctors can control. Um, You know, there's a lot of patients Oftentimes, the appointment times are short unless they're in like a super private practice where the appointment times are longer and the doctor has more control. But if they're working in larger hospital systems, that's generally not the case. So, you know, I would just women should just expect that their visits should be short, (laughs) will be short (laughs) with the doctor. And yeah, and I, I think that that is probably leads into something else I want to know, like because the doctor's time could be short and you you have all these things on your mind you want to talk about like what kind of the key questions that you should go in prepared to ask to make sure to make the best out of that short time yeah i mean i think um i think it's always good to come prepared to your doctor visit because the appointments times are so short you have to remember that you know and every woman should remember that they are the authority on their own body and their own health So, you know, it's good to kind of jot down ahead of time, like, what is it that I really want the doctor to know? You know, this is not a time to chit chat or, you know, to tell a story that's not relevant for what you're there for. I mean, that's just the honest truth because the time just doesn't allow for that. Right. So if you really want to get something out of it and feel like you got your questions answered and feel like you're leaving with information or with Yeah, with information that will be helpful to you, it's important to kind of know what information you're looking to get. So Mm -hmm. for people who have like specific complaints, for example, like if they're going in and they feel sick, you know, they should, you know, beforehand think about how this particular sickness or illness or pain or discomfort, how it affects them. Thinking about how long it's been going on, thinking about, you know, if there's anything that makes this thing better or worse or any particular things they've noticed, any additional information that might be helpful to to the doctor to really allow them to come to a diagnosis. Right. I think all too often people come with uh, to the doctor and they're just like, oh, yeah, my stomach hurts. And then you're like, OK. And then I said, what do you think it is? <laughs> and they're like, well, I don't really know. You know, I need much more information. But okay. it's okay. really important for patients to know that really 80 percent of the diagnosis comes from what you tell us. You know, so Mm -hmm. if you're not Mm -hmm. really an authority on your own body, it's going to be very difficult for people to come to the right conclusion about what is ailing you. So that's super important. Yeah. So I would definitely say come prepared. It's always good to like Google. I mean, I know a lot of doctors would say, please don't tell people to Google, but I think it's good to have people (laughs) Google. Um, And then for them to come to the doctor with information so that that information can be contextualized for them. Right. Right. I super enjoy I super enjoy patients that are like, oh, I looked this up. And what do you think about that? And um, is this true? You know, people who come with questions or who've done their background research, because then that really enriches, I think, their decision making about their own health when they have done some prior work ahead of time. Right. 
Mm -hmm. So I think those things are super, super important. I think, you know, the doctors should be really seen as an ally, as somebody who's an advisor. You know, I think it's important for people to feel empowered, to ask questions, to look things up and to come prepared. Hopefully, hopefully we're like moving into an era where this kind of patriarchal uh, dynamic is starting to shift as more women are entering medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, it's super important for patients to also kind of take back some control and power as well. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. recently, like the whole world basically has been hit with the whole COVID-19 outbreak and it's a concern for everyone, but I'm, I'm assuming it's especially a concern for pregnant women. For those women who are already pregnant, what kind of things or special considerations should they be making or are they pretty much the same as everyone else? Well, you know, in terms of the COVID-19 and pregnant women, you know, because this virus is so new and there really isn't I mean, we're learning more and more every day about how this virus operates. There really isn't a lot of information and data out there that's specific to pregnant women. I think because pregnancy is considered an immunosuppressed state, which is that your immune system is uh, a bit weaker, which is, you know, by design so that you can carry, you know, the baby whose DNA is um, unique to yours and whose Mm -hmm. blood type might be unique to yours and all of these factors that are unique to the baby, um, you know, your immune system is is weaker so that it can allow for the baby to develop in your body so that your immune system doesn't attack your child, right? Um, So that is by design and, you know, evolutionarily. However, you know, pregnant women should definitely, just like any other person in an immunosuppressed state, take extra precaution to ensure that they prevent themselves from coming into contact with the virus. So Mm -hmm. that includes staying home. I'm going to say it again. Staying home. (laughs) I'm going to say it again. Staying home. (laughs) Because people don't listen. And they need to stay home. I'm going to say it four times so people know they really need to stay home. Um, They also need to make sure they wash their hands uh, regularly, especially, you know, before, you know, interacting with others that really people avoid touching their face. Mm-hmm. which is super important. No scratching your nose. I know we're going to allergy season too. So everybody's up mm. their nose, digging up there and rubbing, like don't rub nothing. Just let it itch <laughs> or you can <laughs> take, take a tissue or something. Cause that's really how the virus infects you is through the nose. So avoid touching the no- the face, the nose, keeping social distance is super important. So you're six feet from people If possible, you know, covering your mouth when you cough or sneeze. And if anyone is sick, stay away from them or tell them to, you know, if you're working with people who are sick, stay away from them. Or if you yourself are sick, stay home, you know. So I feel like those are like the primary public health messages that we're really telling everyone. I think, you know, given everything that's been happening with COVID-19, hospitals and clinics are really changing the way that they're providing care, particularly to pregnant women. Um, a lot of these visits are shifting to virtual and telemedicine visits uh, mm-hmm. to, by, by telephone and by video. And so women can expect that maybe they might be doing their own blood pressure at home if they get a blood, mm-hmm. you know, they may need a blood pressure cuff or they might be having to check their own weight at home. So making sure they have a scale that's working. But those things, because those are all very very, very important um, measures to ensure that the pregnancy is proceeding properly and that, you know, the, the, the mom is not developing any major issues that may pose a risk to the, to the baby. 
So those are just kind of some special considerations, I think. People should expect that they may be asked to stay home and that they may not need to come to the doctors frequently, um, even while they're pregnant, unless there's a major issue. Okay. So when would you, say you on a teledoc appointment, when would you know, what kind of things would spawn you saying, hey, I think that it might be better for an in-person visit? Well, I think, you know, there are certain alarm symptoms that we look for in people that might signal that they are in true distress or if there's something that really requires you to lay eyes on the person or mm-hmm. to examine the person, especially, you know, during pregnancy. So obviously alarm symptoms for pregnancy would be any woman who reports any vaginal bleeding, a woman who's reporting like, you know, leaked fluid, maybe a a woman who's reporting that they don't feel the baby moving properly. And this is for women like further along in their pregnancy, right? Also other alarm symptoms like, oh, you know, I have a fever. I feel like I'm, you know, oh, a thermometer is also the important thing. I forgot to mention with the last question, like, you know, people should make sure they have a thermometer in addition to a blood pressure cuff and a a scale. So those things, you know, might be symptoms that may prompt the doctor to ask you to come in. But for the most part, I think that most women do fine at home. If there are some symptoms that may seem like, oh, it's, you know, kind of unclear, they may just require a close follow-up with the patient, you know, maybe in a couple of hours or sometimes days, depending on what the condition is. So if the patient themselves, if women themselves are unsure about the the doctor's advice, they can always ask to have them check in with them in a couple of days. So because in in all honesty, I think a lot of people are scared and anxious right now. So they're really trying to seek advice from doctors, which is totally fine. But in many cases, many of these things will resolve on their own or with minimal intervention. So, you know, if if a doctor is recommending that and a patient's like, oh, I'm not really sure. This seems, you know, not quite right to me. I would say just ask the doctor if it's okay, if they, if they can make another appointment in a few days to check in with them and see if any, there's anything that's changed. If anything, if it got better or if it's getting worse, whatever okay. their, their question is. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good move. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's something I offer patients who seem kind of anxious and unsure about what I'm recommending that, you know, I can just, hey, let me just give you a call in a couple of days and we can see how you feel. And people generally are fine with that and they actually really appreciate it. Okay. Well, do you have any other like favorite resources that you would recommend for women who either are trying to get pregnant or have started their pregnancy journey? Yes. Well, I would definitely recommend my pregnancy preparation course for all of you women out there who are looking to get pregnant. (laughs) The course is really geared at helping women uh, over 30 who are looking to get pregnant and who really want assistance with preparing their body, mind, and spirit for pregnancy in in the most natural, holistic way possible. Um, You know, really focusing on the nutrition, the lifestyle, you know, the, the the menstrual cycle track tracking, those things that are really needed to uh, maximize their chances of getting pregnant. I would say also use your doctor as a resource for sure. You can always schedule an appointment to see your doctor to do what's called a preconception visit or pre, you know, a pre pre 
pregnancy visit where they can really kind of review your medical conditions with you and make sure that there's nothing in particular that stands out that may prevent you from being getting pregnant or if there's any particular vitamin deficiencies that you know the doctor may want to address with you before you get pregnant so it's always good to have someone just do you know a general physical a preconception visit where they can do a lot of counseling with you as well during your visit um, I would also recommend people research, do a little Googling on a, what a doula is. I think that's super important because doulas, you know, um, are having a doula at your birth and during your pregnancy is associated with improved birth outcomes. It's something I recommend for all women of color, given our okay. desperate outcomes with pregnancy. So definitely, you know, thinking about and looking up what it is, what they do and how they could be of service to you. You know, I think that using doulas is becoming increasingly popular this day and age for that reason, just because so many women are looking for support during their pregnancy that oftentimes, you know, their families or their, their partners can't really give them because they just don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. But doulas is really have been used for thousands of years, you know, oh, by wow. women. Uh, so it's not a necessarily a new concept. It's just that, you know, in the last 200 years, particularly in our Western culture, mm -hmm. there's been just, you know, birth has been so medicalized and moved from the home to the hospital that doulas kind of have been pushed out of the this particular sphere. But the, it's making a resurgence, which I'm really super happy about. So I would definitely recommend people kind of research and look up doulas in their area. And, and there are a lot of resources for women who maybe can't afford to pay for a doula privately. Some doulas do pro bono. There's always ways to, yeah, there's always ways to try to get a birth coach if you need one. Well, that's awesome. Okay. I've learned a lot and I think everyone <laughs> else will, because it's just certain things that I didn't even think to ask about. Well, that's all I had. I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm, I wish everyone stay safe, stay home. <laughs> right. One, one <laughs> last time. Love, yes. Um, and lots of uh, positive pregnancy vibes for all of those women who are looking to get pregnant as well. And also for the mommies out there who are already pregnant. All right. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to hear more from Dr. Leggett, please visit www.empowerhealthcoaching.net. There you can find out more about her services in the New York City area, her online courses, and you can sign up for her newsletter. Until next time.